You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on the 16th of May. We have got a fun show this week and a lot of stuff on MMOs, but that's partially because we actually got some really cool news about certain MMOs right now, and some of it, some new stuff that kind of gets your imagination going. And the first one, of course, was Wild West Online. Now, I kind of heard about it initially, like a lot of other people, and got excited, of course, because there's the the Red Dead Redemption inspiration, which is obvious immediately. And like you guys, and like a lot of other people as well, like I'm a big fan of Westerns. I, I, I love, I grew up watching Westerns on Sundays with my old man. Like I love watching Westerns. So the idea of an open world MMO that's Western based, if done well, is really enticing. I really like that a lot. So I did some reading on on Wild West Online and what we can expect. Now, the the developer is 612 Games, and it's being published by DJ2. They, they actually have some partial stock in 612 Games, so a lot of it is kind of blended who's working on what kind of thing as I'm talking to it later on. Because one of the, the, uh, the VP of DJ2, Stefan uh, Bougage, we're going with that, did an interview with PC Gamer that I thought was phenomenal, the, the the little bit that we could glean from what we can expect from this game. But what it sounds like is that, and, and this is a pro and a con for me, and, and I say that because we talked about this with Ashes of Creation, literally, was that last week or the week before? No, not last week, the week before. And it's when you're relying a little too much on your community and your player base to be generating content by virtue of their actions, that can be pretty tricky. The thing is, however, is that the idea of a Wild West MMO where most of the interactions are with other players and not necessarily with other NPCs, both in terms of combat and, and what you do, be it through crafting or, or anything like that. Again, very akin to what we discussed on Ashes of Creation. It's one of those things where because of the, the type of game it's going to be, I feel it may actually suit that type of gameplay more than a Tolkien-esque based MMO like, say, Ashes of Creation or something like that. It's more fantasy-based Whereas this is that Wild West, and and I, I personally feel it could really work well with that, so long as there are enough, not just incentive, but using the AI, the game's AI, or, or various NPCs, or whatever they do, to kind of instigate player activity. Like, one of the things that they talked about in terms of their... Um, Actually, just back up a little bit here first. They've already been working a lot on development, and it's going to go through one way or another, but they are planning a Kickstarter, which is going to essentially kind of 
insert some funds in so that they can add even more stuff into it. They're still planning on releasing towards the tail end of this year. So that means if that in fact is true and if that in fact does happen, that means that they're fairly far along in development. They're doing fairly well. So what they're planning now is they're talking about different events that they could potentially put in as stretch goals for their Kickstarter campaign, which is all well and good. But when you're talking about some of them, like the train heist, which sounds so fucking unbelievable, I'm thinking, no, no, you can't just say, oh, maybe we'll put this in if we get any money, enough money. No, (laughs) you put that shit in and you make sure it's in because that's one of the things that I feel, again, can instigate conflict, can instigate player interaction. And then from there, just let it go and let the players do their stuff because what they talk about there is – Uh, literally a train that would be going across the map that you can either defend what's on there or you can try to pull a train heist off. And if you are a fan of Westerns, that's kind of the dream. Okay. The, the, be the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid pulling off a train heist. So, if they can just, continue to that, then I think they'll be doing all right. But but that's one event. You need a lot of those to make sure that the world still feels alive. Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, I find it funny that the last time we were talking about this type of stuff, you were kind of poo-pooing on Ashes yeah. Creation's caravan thing. But this year, just like, it, it's it's interesting how a setting change yeah. changes your mind. Of that's what I mean. Thing. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. And And... and that's why I'm saying I, I feel that certain genres lend themselves better to those type of elements. And it, it might be identical in both. And hell, the, the fantasy-based one might even do it better for all we know. But it's the emotional attachment that you have to that. Pulling off a heist on a caravan to me is like, man, whatever, you know. You do that three times a day and wow, can't deal or win any other game. Pulling off a train heist? Oh, I'm fucking there. <laughs> like that. I need that in my life. I want to do that. I just wonder where this game was six years ago. Like when they were making MMOs out of literally anything. Everything, everything yeah. Red Dead Redemption was hot and there was a demand for, you know, more Western style games. But now this is going to come out right around the same time Red Dead 2 is, which assuming is going to have a pretty robust online component kind of makes me wonder like what they're going for here though. Like, cause they're, they're basically setting themselves up to compete with what's going to be the biggest game of the year. But because it is an MMO and it is persistent, would that be enough if you're buying one of them and they look both of them very similar in terms of, the, the look, the gameplay, and to a certain degree, the content, knowing that one is persistent and you can keep playing this shit as long as you want, would you be more willing to pick up Wild Wild West over Red Dead Redemption 2? It would have to be incredibly impressive because, I mean, even GTA's online component, it's not a persistent world, but you still have, you know, persistent characters and missions and stuff that you unlock client-side that you can then reaccess when you go into online servers. So i I don't know. Like, it's not enough to convince me that this is going to be worth a purchase really? in addition to Red Dead 2. Because let's be honest, you're going to get Red Dead 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but again, if in a, a, a tight budget situation scenario kind of deal, if it could do as well as it's kind of touting that it'll try to do, 
I would lean, well, depending on pay structure. With fucking MMOs, mm-hmm. that's what it yeah, always that, boils down important. to. And not that's only that, but every huge. MMO touts that they're going to be the next best thing, which we're going to talk more about later. But still, this like, is true. It, everyone claims to be this this next up and coming thing, this next you know niche that everybody is going to love, and that's not necessarily the case. And the difference between the two, like between Red Dead Redemption and between this, is Red Dead Redemption I pay for once. Yeah, maybe maybe a DLC here and there, which in the original wasn't that bad and added a lot of fun to the game. But and then it's always there with the MMO. I mean, servers can also shut down in six months and then you're stuck with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. There's a, a risk with the MMO. And well, like I've said quite a few episodes now, I haven't been doing any subscriptions anymore either because they're bloody expensive with the currency conversion. Hell, I just got back into Wildstar, which I'll touch on a little bit later on. And I thought that their sub based, uh, their subscription was a little bit lower price. Fuck no, it's still a lot. And I'm thinking, seriously, Wildstar, no offense, (laughs) freaking Wildstar people. Okay. But I don't think the community is quite strong enough quite large enough that you should be charging that much drop the price to try to incentivize people to come and play and to sub for it if it was a reasonable reasonable price even with the currency exchange hell i would actually sub to it because it, it's actually been fun being back into that game but jesus so yeah it's going to be very much about what the subscription model will be in this so we'll see when it comes out but again a lot of very cool stuff with this and what we can expect in terms of again how not just the the pve content will work but also it's going to be by the sound of a fairly pvp uh, centric because a lot of the activities that you do can be interpreted as you know either illegal or whatever it doesn't have to just be a, a you killed somebody they're, they're planning apparently to put a lot of theft and different things like that in it as well so you can be a bandit or you can be one of the, the good guys or you could be some freaking farmer dude or or i love that you can be a prospector <laughs> so you're mining now is you're actually prospecting so there's a lot of stuff that you're going to be able to do with other players, but the PVP stuff is going to be cool because you're going to have a wanted system, which is going to assign you stars again, going back to GTA kind of deal. And so as you get higher in terms of your wanted level, then other people will start looking out for you as well. So you don't have to worry about the NPCs. It's going to be the bounty hunters or potentially other gangs of bandits that want to take you on. And then if your wanted level remains too high for too long kind of thing, you actually may not be able to go into towns anymore and you have to go to like bandit hangouts, which are far more dangerous. But like one of the things they were saying too that can get you kicked out of town is if you start pulling bank heists and I'm going, Jesus, <laughs> I can freaking rob trains and banks. This is like my Redford moment. I'll do it. <laughs> like this will be awesome. This is, it, I just find it really funny because it, we're going to be, when we talk about Ashes of Creation, I'll go into that some more, but like these two games are doing roughly the same. A thing lot of the similar things. Yep. Yeah with just different genre settings. It's it's absolutely intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm looking forward to hearing more. I'm looking forward to their 
their Kickstarter. The one negative that I will say, and this is actually a big one, and it's I was reading uh, various people on Twitter who were not impressed with this, and they need to know this as well. Not that they're listening to our fucking podcast, but they need to know, like, this bullshit of a stretch goal being being able to play as a female female playable character, you can't do that. Yeah. In an MMO, if if you're doing that in a standalone RPG and the main character is either male or female, then fine. Okay, it's nice that we're finally starting to see more characters like in Horizon Zero Dawn and things like that. So that's great. But in an MMO, it's indefensible. You that has to be part of the the your equation when you're figuring out how much your MMO is going to cost you to develop. You need to incorporate female playable characters. Period. And I, I, and I mean, it bothers me to possible. no end. It's such a shitty excuse to yeah. That like, oh, they're harder to program. No, they're fucking not. And I have talked with developers and people that work in the industry. And while they do move differently, if you're programming multiple move sets already for the ragdoll, because let's not make any ifs, ands, or buts about it, there is a ragdoll or a wireframe or something underneath that acts as an armature that you skin over. It's the same fucking thing. There is no excuse whatsoever to not have it. You can't just sit there and say it's it's either more difficult to program or it's going to require more money to do. It's not that difficult, especially with all the engines and tools that are already available right now. And literally, most of the other game developers, most of the other games that are coming out, don't seem to have a problem doing it from the start. Well, not so just that, but if, if on you top. you don't have room in your budget for female characters, you don't have room in your budget to make a game. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, again, a lot more RPGs are including both now as well. Not all of them by any stretch, but we're seeing a lot more of them that are giving you that option. So if standalone RPGs are able to make sure that they start incorporating this because they understand the importance, then you need to figure that shit out, especially for a fucking MMO. That really, mm -hmm, (laughs) it kind of hurt me. And then that that makes me question, you know, how are they going to handle other things like people of color or it's a Wild West game. What about Native Americans? Yep. That's going to be a thing. Yeah. Is that in the budget? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of things that can go wrong here if you're not if you're not careful or intelligent. Let's be just blunt about it. So we'll see. I'm hoping that between now and when that Kickstarter comes out, they smarten up a little bit about that. And they just write that it's going to be part of it. They understand and they're making sure that it's just part of it. So, But we'll see. Let's move on to that Ashes of Creation, Joe, that you... You apparently are freaking loving and are willing to I, shit on my Wild Wild West online just so that you can defend I, your Ashes of Creation. <laughs> fantasy has a special place in my heart. No matter, I love the Wild Wild West. I love, you know, sci fantasy. I love everything. Fantasy itself does have a special place in my heart. So this was a one hour stream that was from the developers of Ashes uh, of Creation and Lazy Peon basically doing a Q and A. And we got a, a bunch of information. There were some standard questions, but we got to learn more. Uh, first of all, the team is growing. The game right now is in pre-alpha, so they have it's being done in, in partially in the Unity engine or Unreal Engine, excuse me, Unreal Four. Uh, it's being constructed, and they have a bunch of the baseline stuff. But they're getting to the point where they are now starting to 
branch out and do a lot more of the the detail work and the planning and things like that. So now they can actually grow their team. So they're starting to aggressively hire, which is always a good sign. Um, they're trying to pace that growth with the balancing of culture, basically structure the growth so that they don't lose sight of what they want to accomplish with the game and kind of get lost in the weeds with the development, which I thought was, it was a kind of a candid response and I appreciated it. Uh, and then we started talking about actual gameplay. New players uh, in the first 10 to 20 hours, the question was, what can you be expected to do? Anybody who's played an MMO knows that, you know, most MMOs, you're going to kill 20 boars, go collect some pig intestines, maybe roll around a couple piles of shit and find something. Here, there's going to be starting zones for every race that samples everything, crafting, dungeons, uh, PvP, the whole the whole thing. It's going to be an introduction to every system that they have in the game, but it's not necessarily going to be required. You don't have to go through it like you do, like, wow is a good example. You have to go through some of the starting areas. You have to go into one, one place. And getting off the, out of those places is rather difficult. Look at the monk starting or the panda starting oh, area. Jesus, yeah. You have to level through it to go anywhere else in the world. Otherwise, you can't. You can't do anything. Here, however, you can run into the wilderness if you want as a first-level player and just start exploring the world. You might die, and it, it will be difficult, but you can just go out into the world and just find out what's out there. I think that's kind of cool, and I like the fact that they're just leaving that open. And I, they they said that they wanted the initial experience to be enjoyable without being like completely handheld. And I, as a player of MMOs that's been doing this for a long time, I actually kind of appreciate that because there's nothing quite as annoying as that same poop quest over and over and over again. I actually. Not to shit on this, obviously, because oh, I it can go I, either way. No, no, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the game coming out too. I, I really am. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see what the questing initially is with this, because I'm at the point now, and I think that most people are, because a lot of people have at least played one MMO. Forget about you know, and there's a lot more who've played a lot more than one as well. I think that the days of the introductory zone can be done. I'm of the opinion that we are at a point now where your MMO, you create your character and you get in that world and shit's going bad immediately and it can be epic right from the get-go. And it doesn't have to, to teach you how to play the game anymore. Yeah, and, and they talk about that later on too when we start talking about questing a little bit. Yeah. They actually address that specific point. So couple other things real quick from the beginning. Uh, they did talk about in-game trading. There is going to be in-game trading. They haven't talked about any restrictions on it. Uh, they're probably going to be looking at some of that because they, they are concerned about uh, botting. They say that they have a robust security plan that they want to implement. And they're going to be relying somewhat on the fact that there is going to be a subscription model to help deter like gold sellers and, and stuff like that. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. We'll see. They haven't really released too much on that. I'm guessing that they haven't really planned too much yet. Just getting into that. Um, there was a question about gear being bind on equip. Uh, they want to stay away from bound items. And this is something that a lot of games don't do. Whereas you find something, you equip it, and then it's bound to you forever and you can do nothing else with it. They were talking about having it be alt friendly where you can actually maybe have a account wide storage where you throw the stuff into you create a character you can go to your account storage and grab an item, things like that, which I think is interesting because that's one of the things I like about Diablo, actually, that I wish other MMOs would do, where you have a centralized 
sort of storage system for all of your gear so that if you want to have alts and you want to like transfer stuff you don't have to mail them you don't have to use a third party intermediary to hold the item for you like you used to have to do back in the day i think that's a cool idea and i hope they they do implement that that's something that you saw a lot more in in arpgs like your d Mm -hmm. diablo you were saying torchlight things like that where in they allow you to pass this stuff along to different people and it's it's almost as if they understand that you're going to keep grinding for gear anyway so it does this it doesn't have to they don't have to use gear what you have bound as a means of forcing you to play more which is what the mmos do by mmos what the fuck was that mmos do by <laughs> seriously by by making the stuff account bound so or not account bound but pl- uh, uh, player uh, character bound soul bound so bound, yeah, yeah soul bound so that's the the difference there where the arpgs is like we know you're playing anyway so put this shit on whichever character you want. Whereas the MMO is like, eh, we'd like you to put in a few more hours today so you can only keep this on one character. You're going to have to farm on your other one if you want stuff. So, And I agree. We're Again, I we're at a different point in MMOs now than we were before. And I think that we need to, not we, the players, but developers need to understand that and find different incentives to keep you playing and understand that, as a gaming population, we're, we're gaming just as much, if not more, but in shorter bursts. So making us continue to keep coming back for extended period of time just to get gear for other players that if you had to just let us freaking have this as a countdown instead, we wouldn't have to. And we'd play when we want to, not because we feel we have to. So there's there's a different mentality that's I feel is occurring in MMOs that the devs haven't yet realized and it'll be nice once they do. And and that's one of the things they talked about here too, is they don't want the game to feel grindy either. Yeah. yeah. Like they don't want the quest to be filler. And I'll talk about that. just jumping around a little bit here. Uh, They talked about the quality of questing and what could be expected in specific. And there's going to be a couple different types of questing. There's going to be the main narrative, which is the major story of the, the world that you get thrown into right at the beginning And then there's going to be side things called tasks. So the quests are actually going to be meaningful. They're going to be things that pertain to the story, advancing the character of the area, the node, whatever the case is, uh, or your class, or the guild that your, your class belongs to, Thieves Guild, Warriors Guild, all that type of stuff. That's going to be where the questing is. There may be menial tasks that you can choose to do or not, but anything that involves a quest is going to have good tasks. It's going to have something that actually makes you invested in that story versus again digging through poop and stuff like that and because they want to emphasize exploring the world and kind of living in the world in this world being a living thing that they're sort of want you to be rewarded for exploring and finding things out in the wild so what i thought was kind of cool too is instead of incentivizing you like grind dungeons they want you to go maybe climb that cliff over there and one of the pre- pre-videos that they showed in the alpha where like people navigating stuff rogues and rangers right now can climb sheer cliffs it's a class feature and they want your skills in your class not just to be combat only or crafting only they want them to be locomotion they want them to be explore exploration like maybe a mage can make an ice bridge and go across that body of water that you know that warrior can't because he's sitting in plate mail or that warrior might be able to 
push aside all this brush and get through the underpath where, you know, maybe that cleric can't. It, it is kind of a cool concept. And they were talking about having things hidden in the world that maybe there's a legendary item that's hidden in the world that when you find it, it's meaningful. Or maybe there's a specific event or something that you find that is rare. And they talked about that too, where they want things to be hidden and rare and in the world, not just necessarily, oh, you completed this quest, here's this super powerful artifact. By the way, the guy next to you gets it too. It, it's an interesting concept. They want, they want everything to feel important. And I think that's that's something you don't hear a lot from developers. Like you're, oh, you're going to have a great time. They, everything's going to be great and blah, 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 blah. But here it's like you can play 20, 30 minutes at a time and go exploring instead of necessarily four hours for a raid. And I think that's kind of cool. Well, the other thing that's cool about that is that th that kind of thing will definitely incentivize people to make alts. Uh, of different races because there's a reason to now that's always been one of the things that's tricky with an MMO too really what's the point of doing a another character an alt if the most of if not all of the questing experience is the same we've seen a few where they're they're a little different especially at the beginning when they like to do the the race specific starting tutorial area but then thereafter it's always the same so this kind of thing just because it's not just about the questing that'll be different initially for your little starting area but that locomotion skill will persist throughout the game and so if they are making it so that there are different areas that are essentially kind of locked away based on what your race is, that's freaking awesome. That's that's reason enough to to actually just play around as an alt if you're the type of person that really likes to explore the world as much as possible. And that's something I do, which is why yeah, I was exactly. really interested in that yeah. particular point of it. Yeah. The other thing that they talked about, too, is finding uh, social organizations in the world. Now, when we mean social organizations, it's it's similar but not the same as, like, reputation stuff in, like, WoW or other MMOs. Uh, but it's it's like Skyrim with the, the different orders that you could belong to, uh, things like that. There's going to be similar things here. And as you progress through their tasks or complete events that feed their, their purposes, you gain standing, which unlocks... Uh, certain things. They they didn't go into too many specifics because it could be a special story quest. It could be items. It could be uh, special, you know, thief only things or ranger only things that you get to experience by doing things. And they want these to happen sort of organically, which I think is interesting. Like it's not going to be a giant question mark that says, "Hey, you know, go do this for me, earn 100 rep." It's going to be, "Oh, you found somebody getting." beaten up by the side of the road you save them turns out it happened to be like the farmer's guild or something like that and so you you get something from that interaction which i think is really kind of cool I, I like that idea and they also said that your decisions are going to affect the outcome of quest especially in situations like that like you see somebody at the side of the road getting beat up you leave them to get beat up that might have repercussions later on for you it'll be they they haven't really fully implemented that system but that's their goal that's one of the things they wanted to do because they said every MMO touts it. Every MMO says, oh, your decisions matter. When at the end of the day, do they really? They don't. And in a, in a lot of games, they don't. They, no. they, they just simply don't. They seem to be taking a lot more cues from single-player RPGs, which I think is kind of important because over the years, one of the things I've noticed is MMOs have really pushed sort of the cookie-cutter 
massive multiplayer aspect and have been super light on the RPG elements. And they seem to want to be putting this stuff back in. And one thing that immediately sprung to mind about that was with the social organizations and sort of that organic development of, of your standing with them. It felt very similar to the Star Wars Galaxy type stuff from back in the day or Asheron's Call which were huge things because a lot of stuff just sort of happened. There was no guidebook. There was no handholding. There was no run this raid every single week to earn this much rep and get this much gear. And I thought that was kind of cool. The one thing I don't like is they're talking about having a punishment for dying. Now, this oh, is a thing that God. is, it's not new. And, uh, uh, a lot oh, but I thought we'd it, killed it. What's that? I said, but I thought we'd killed it. <laughs> I thought we did as well, and <laughs> unfortunately, some MMOs were were big with it. And City of Heroes was a was a nasty example of it. Don't get me wrong; I love the game, but when you died, you incurred an XP debt, and you had to work off that debt at a rate of fifty fifty. Fifty percent of the XP you earned went to the debt; fifty percent went to your actual leveling. It was brutal. It's just like being a superhero. Spider Man had to pay bills. Clearly, clearly. I love how he says, though, don't get me wrong, I loved City of Heroes because anybody listening to this podcast has no yeah. clue about that. If this is your but, first episode. Yeah. Hey, hey, some people may not. You never know. We get new listeners. But that aside, they haven't determined what it's going to be yet. And I'm really kind of curious if they're going to go through with it and what it'll be. I, I am not a fan of Punishments for Dying. But, well, here's the thing. Here's the argument that I would give to that. Depends on how it's done. Yeah, no, I'll go you one further. And and this is agreeing with you. When we are playing any type of game, but especially an MMO, we want to feel epic. We want to feel heroic. We want to feel larger than life to make up for our sad sack of life (laughs) that we are actually living. So we want just to charge in. Without thinking sometimes, just charge in and have this epic adventure. If you are constantly evaluating every potential conflict with a a, a mob or a beast or whatever for fear of dying, that makes you a lot less likely to just kind of charge in and want that epic brave heart moment kind of thing, that massive battle or whatever. And, and that's where... That's why I think the, the the penalty for dying doesn't work because it makes you it makes you stop and think, which is actually not what you want in this type of game. You want to be able to just dive in, kill a crap load of shit, and feel awesome doing it. Like case in point, again, we'll go back to yours. Obviously, you're not done, but just go back to Wildstar. One of the things that I've always liked, and because I, I started a new character, another spell slinger, because it's my favorite race. And it's the same thing yet again, where I'm remembering the fun times of before, of just getting as many mobs as I can on me, and then burning them down while healing myself at the same time and having a fun at doing it. And then you get to the end, and everybody's dead, and you get that moment, of, and you feel good about it, and then you keep going kind of thing. If I had to be like, ah, crap, if I t- pull too many of them, they're going to kill me. I'll lose X amount of experience, X amount of money, and eh, it's not really worth it. Maybe I'll try to pull three very carefully. I'll see about using some CC on the other ones. If I pull others, I don't want. Fuck, fun. I don't want that. That's not fun. Yeah. yeah. Or like, hey, so, I wonder if there's something cool up at the top of that mountain. Exactly. I could go climb it, but what if there's a bad guy up there that kills me? What if I fall? 
falling deaths happen all the time. <laughs> I figured, oh, yeah. I was playing, again, Wildstar, and I, I thought, I can't remember. Is there falling damage on this? There is. There is. <laughs> <laughs> so keep going, Joe. Oh, but it, that and that's probably the most ne- the only negative thing I really took away from right. the entire thing. That's that's OK. Like if that's the most negative thing I have to say about it, they're in a good spot so far. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of exciting or at least potentially exciting is they talked about crafting a little bit as well. And they don't want crafting to be boring, push a button, walk away, everything's good. Uh, they want something that's a little more involved, like there's going to be actual like mechanics with it, which, again, makes me think of Star Wars Galaxies, because back then you actually had to, for lack of a better term, play like a mini game. But it was engaging because you had to go and do specific things to enable certain things to pop up to craft gear, like when crafting Mandalorian armor. There was one place in the universe you could do it, and you had to essentially go to a bottom of – it was basically a space worm and get this one material to go and do it. And then there was a mini game associated with it as well, but it felt rewarding to do that. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what they need to do, but it's a lot better than just queuing stuff up and then going and making a sandwich. So listen, we can uh, actually all three of us will remember how epic various like warlock quests were in WoW mm -hmm. early on where you had to work for your fucking mount, especially and then different armies. Yeah. So like those meant something. And for me, especially also like the Druid, when you actually had to work for those forms and they weren't just handed to you. And shaman to unlock the spells. And exactly. Yeah. Like I, I don't know at what point Blizzard decided that, well, everybody's bitching that it's too hard. So we'll just give it to them. At what point they thought that was a good idea, but people I, just I think accepted it. Was more of a matter it. of people were like, "Hey, why doesn't my class have a special quest?" And they went, "Well, we better get rid of all the class quests, or people are going to keep complaining." Yeah, see, that's just utter stupidity. This idea that everything has to be the same yet again—another MMO thing that they need to learn. Not everything needs to be the same. That variety is what will keep people coming back because they're going to want to play as those races classes, or as those yeah. classes. So. Yeah, like that sounds fantastic. And there's a there's going to be more coming too, and they're going to be releasing developer blogs and vlogs and updates regularly as things progress and as they figure out some of these things. They even admitted, it, which was a very candid response to them, they haven't figured out every facet of this yet. A lot of it is moving and figuring it out as they go along, yeah. and that's okay. At least they're open about that. Well, that means and, they're open to suggestion as well, which is important. And that's the other thing, too. They're, they're re- with what they've done with, like, Lazy Peon and a bunch of the other folks that have big MMO name, like, players that have kind of latched onto them, they listen. They actually are, are listening to input and saying, okay, you think this is a good idea? Why do you think this is a good idea? Okay, this is a terrible idea. Why is this a terrible idea? And they're actually looking at that plus their varied backgrounds between them, they've been on a lot of AAA titles amongst all of them. They know what's already been done, so they have an idea, which makes me honestly excited to see what the finished product's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if it were not for that stupid price tag on the sub, I'd be a lot more excited about that one as well because I love playing MMOs. So, Okay, let's move on to Final Fantasy XIV. Vince, you wanted to talk about that too. 
Yeah, today they released the uh, music video, if you will, for the 4.0 Stormblood version of the game uh, called Revolutions, uh, music by Final Fantasy stalwart Nobuo Uematsu, who actually doesn't do a whole lot of work for them anymore. He's Basically, he contributes like a couple of prestige songs to each game. He's no longer like the lead composer for the various games. But hey, when they want to make some money, they trot him out there. And vocals by the amazing Susan Calloway. She's done the vocals for the three main songs since Realm Reborn came out. And honestly, she's what makes these trailers because she just fits so well with this music. And the trailer is the the main theme of the expansion, overset with little snips of all the assorted main scenario questline cutscenes that people can look forward to. And there is some cool shit in here. Now, I haven't played much Final Fantasy at all in the last year or two but it's really cool for me who i never even got to the heavens word part of the story i could still recognize characters here like characters that were part of the game since literally your level one questing in realm reborn are still important players in the story going forward and i i really like that there's that sense of longevity and you get attached to these people so you know eventually when one or two of them get knocked off like it's it's important to you as a player as well as your character because you've invested time with them. And then just looking at like the actual vistas and all the stuff they're doing. Like I love how so much of this trailer was like a journey because the big thing of heaven's word or I'm sorry, Stormblood is going to these new continents to the East and just setting sail on the seas for these unseen continents and these beautiful areas. Like this was, this got, it's got me a little too hyped. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes Allie very happy, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was because we saw the uh like the CGI trailers and like those are great. Like, okay, yeah, but those are, you know not in game. More of like what what you can expect thematically, but yeah. seeing the actual like in game representations of that stuff is much more interesting to me. Once again, if if it wasn't for the sub, I miss playing Final Fantasy. I was really enjoying it. There's elements mm-hmm. of it that I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I enjoyed a lot more than other MMOs. So yeah, if it wasn't for that stupid sub, fuck, I'd be, I'd still be playing it. The only problem I'm facing right now is the more I've been reading into it, those uh, the jump potions that they were talking right. about that let you, you know, basically skip, skip forward in all the storyline requirements to be able to play the new content don't look like they're going to be out by the time the expansion comes out. Yeah. Which, Square, you make what is in-game, I will say, the best MMO out there with the worst business plan <laughs> and customer service surrounding it. Like, they, they have very little communication with the fans. Like, I, I understand they like to keep a lot of stuff, like, really tight so that when it comes out, it's a really big deal. But they just, they're really bad at the game part of this game, and it frustrates me. I don't think they care. They're doing what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, and it's working. The patch notes specifically fuck Vince. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Joe and I were talking about this yesterday because the news came from one of our favorite writers. And it took me a couple of minutes to go from. Well, that's awesome. Oh, dude, your brain rebooted, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it went from, hey, this is awesome to, hold on a second. No, 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 this is bad. This is very bad. So go ahead, Joe, and we'll get into it. 
So if anybody has missed it, uh, Christy Golden, who we've talked about a lot, who has written some absolutely wonderful novels across multiple genres and for many, many games, is now officially a Blizzard employee. This is good in terms of Blizzard stuff if you're excited because they've also just announced uh, that there's going to be an, a set of Overwatch books that are going to be coming out, which I can only assume she's going to be having a hand in. And I can't wait to see her take on Mercy or, or Sombra because I think it'd be absolutely friggin' amazing as well as other novels within the universe of other, other games there. Uh, we can only assume there's probably going to be more Diablo content coming out, at least story-wise or book-wise soon. Starcraft's not done and her Starcraft books have all been amazing. And of course, Warcraft isn't done by any stretch of the imagination. The bad side is we don't know exactly what the contract position or limitations therein are. And they haven't officially said anything. So we don't know if this is going to be an exclusive thing where she's not allowed to work on other projects or if it's going to be like some of the past employees that they've had, like Valefair, who is one of their artists who does a ton of other stuff as well for other companies as well, as long as it doesn't cross into Blizzard IPs. If they let her continue to work on books outside of Blizzard stuff, that's fine. That's fine. I'm absolutely okay with it. If she is going to be an exclusive resource, I have very mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, stuff I love is going to be getting new content or at least new story that is absolutely going to be treated with TLC. On the other hand, that means Star Wars books might not be a thing anymore. And Screw you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. No. Star Wars things, Star Wars books will be a thing. They'll just be a different oh, thing. Oh, man. See, the problem still not good. The problem is, is that it's not just if Blizzard says, hey, work on whatever else you want to. It's if she's working 40 hours a week for Blizzard writing their novels, which again, well, we're huge fans of her work. She's sure. a phenomenal writer. And not because her writing is, like, lyrically beautiful, but because she's an intelligent writer that understands story, understands character, understands interpersonal relationships. She's just a phenomenal writer. And, like, her Star Wars stuff, and again, I've said to this time and time again, like, I'm not a huge Star Wars nut, and I go nuts over her fucking Star Wars novels. They're that good. They're amazing. So the idea that she won't have time to work on those or the Star Trek novels or anything else, because, or Assassin's Creed, which she just did, because, like, again, 40 hours a week, that means that she's she's doing like, like everybody else who has a full-time <laughs> job, working at night or on the weekends on these other novels that she's doing maybe and the reason i say maybe is because there is something in this industry uh software or game development uh, or just general that sort of thing that has been becoming very popular thanks to google which is the 80 20 which is 80 percent of your time is devoted 100 percent to whatever projects are assigned to you that's it and 20 percent of your time can be devoted to another project which basically means that they want you to kind of explore and do your own thing to sort of keep a work-life balance. And they still pay you for your 40 hours, but they give you that time to sort of do something that isn't immediately your job to de-stress or what? to deworm your brain. Yes, Who the fuck I'm does that? Serious. Please talk to my boss. 
What the I, hell? I, you, want, you want to know something really funny? I do that for my employees, too. Jesus. The, I've never the, heard of that. Yeah, it's 80-20 <laughs> or 90-10. Uh, a lot of companies Fuck. in the tech industry have started doing it. If they do something similar with her, because I know they do that for their artists. See, what um, I thought initially so when I, you were... I wouldn't be surprised. When you were talking about this initially, uh, yesterday when we were chatting about it, I was thinking... I was thinking it's like, okay, you're on our payroll and it's basically a book contract. You're going to write us, let's say, two books a a year and that's that. That's way different because then she gets to kind of set her time and she can also then include whatever other books she wants to write at the same time. But when she tweeted about it, tweeted about it, it sounded very much like she's on the payroll. Like she's like she got a job with them. Which is why I also wondered if she would have any kind of influence over questing in any of those IPs. Which, again, that's fucking awesome for us who loves to play the game. Richard Knack's fucking characters can end up in quest lines. Yeah, no, no, I mean she could be writing, actually writing stuff. She's single-handedly responsible for Garona not being a throwaway. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of good that can come from this. But it's also coming at a heavy heavy price if it's going to impact her work on other ips that's all i mean and and to me that's a huge disappointment i would actually rather she continue continue like this where she still works for them and still writes a whole bunch of novels for them but also puts out all that other work that's phenomenal but i mean it's her life and i i just we we support her so i'm looking forward to seeing what definitely is going to come of this and and I'm going to be very, very honest, too. If there's one thing that could get me back into WoW for a, 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 an extended period of time, it would be if she was heavily influencing, not just influencing, but like working on various quest lines and various things like that, story elements and things like that in an expansion, say, if if the majority of the writing was from her or influence from her, that would get me back in. That's That's how much I respect her work. And I was going to say, I just respect the fact that she made the decision that was best for her. And I don't, she doesn't, I've met her, I've talked with her, at least in passing and past BlizzCons and stuff like that. She doesn't exactly strike me as a person who would just do it for the money or was hard up for cash. So I am fairly confident that she's doing something she really wants to do. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And that makes me happy. So at the end of the day, if I have to miss out on a Star Wars novel, but I get 15 Overwatch books... I well, might be okay. That's the thing too. Like this does, it's not permanent, you know, like if she decides to stay there for five years and crank out a number of novels based on their IPs and then goes from there. Well, fine. We'll look forward to seeing you writing other stuff, but we sure as shit will love your Overwatch or Diablo. Oh man, I we're due for a really good Diablo book from her. Mm-hmm. Like I, you I, know, something that's not written by Richard Nack. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would, I would love that. I would absolutely adore that. And now that we're so heavily uh, invested in Overwatch, the idea of her writing various Mm -hmm. Overwatch novels, yeah, that's got me excited too. So again, pros and cons, we'll see what comes of it. But, you know, Christy, we love you. We're really looking forward to seeing what comes of this. Now, another game that literally just dropped the, um, the, the reviews are going up for it is Injustice 2. And what's cool about this and how it ties into our MMO discussion is it's one and now I don't do a lot of fighting games, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it feels like it's trying to incorporate various, you know, oh, whether it it's MMO elements or ARPGs where you can have a clan and gear and shit like that. And mm-hmm. 
I I really dig that. There's only a couple of negatives that I have about Injustice 2 from what I've seen so far and a lot more positives. But Joe, go ahead with uh, what we heard about this. So it, it what I think is really interesting is a lot of fighting games or at least a lot of games that fall into like the superhero category tend to split everything evenly between two factions. You have your supervillains and your superheroes and that's kind of it. They're doing the DC thing, which I, I mean, seems almost obvious, but they haven't done this in past games. There are individual coalitions. There are different groups. So like Batman has his own group of freedom fighters. This is not necessarily the same group that works with Batman or Superman. So this is not the same group that works with Brainiac or Gorilla Grodd in his society. And I think that's kind of interesting that each of these groups has sort of a stake. And that right there is the first thing I noticed from that. The second thing is that the campaign, the the single player campaign is infinitely more robust, spanning multiple worlds individual like uh, we can call them missions but they're fights on each individual planet and apparently and i haven't played this yet like it's on my docket to play later on today it's downloading right now uh, it's one of those things where apparently what you do in those fights has an outcome on what unlocks for you next in the quest chain hmm. so in each not only the fighting game has done that since guilty gear I know, right? Which like, is that, that's why it intrigued me. Guilty Gear, like fifteen years ago, <laughs> way back when. So, like, because you always have the option—you have the option to kill or or not kill or whatever the case. Sort of like the old Mortal Kombat style here when you complete a fight. So that's going to play into it. So if you kill Gorilla Grodd, you might his society might come after you or headhunt you or something else might happen. And I think that's kind of cool because then there's the overarching quest for your individual character, the group that you belong with, and then the interactions across the multiverse. That's kind of cool. The other thing, like, and Roger talked about this, the gear is an insane addition. Mm-hmm. Not only does it let you get stats, it unlocks special abilities, it customizes abilities and visuals, it customizes just the damn visual of your character, and there are tons of gear that you can earn, unlock, and equip. Like, I'm seeing weird combinations of Flash shit that I haven't seen in, like, fucking years in the comics. They're pulling back here, like, the Flash armor. And I don't mean, like, the new 52 padded armor. I mean, like, the Red Hood-style Flash armor, which was, like, 20 years ago. Like, stuff like that's kind of cool. And that, right, like, if those things right there, I'm kind of okay with. Now, <laughs> the only thing I don't like, if we're talking about looks, some of those character skins are horrible (laughs) character skins not outfits but like superman looks like your neighbor who just happens to be an accountant for the government like (laughs) he does not welcome to the world of injustice no no because injustice one did not look like that i know because i play that shit with tristan all the time the the character models in injustice actually don't look bad at all but from from Clark accountant Clark to freaking the 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 Joker in this one too looks horrible like there's a lot that look great but man there's some that are fucking ridiculous looking some are weird but like the Joker is an interesting one I was going to talk about this too because the Joker is technically dead like well he, yeah he, he died at exist. the beginning yeah, but he's here now. And they well, he was in the first some, one too though. He was, but they explained a little bit more about why he or how he's here now. He doesn't it's sort of weird. Like it, it 
they showed off the sequence and it was Harley Quinn versus uh, Dr. Jonathan Crane. It was Scarecrow. He who looks the, fucking awesome. Like, yeah, who no looks awesome. kidding. <laughs> but he uses the fear toxin. And then this whole sequence, the cinematic sequence plays out where, you know, Harley's going through her worst nightmare. He's back. He's starting to take control. He's breaking down all of these these things that she's built herself. Because at this point, she's a hero. She's joined Batman. She's hanging out in the Batcave. She's a good well, guy. She is now. the best character in the Injustice universe. No oh, she's shit. absolutely hands down the best character in the, the 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 entirety of the Injustice universe. But it's interesting because like there's this whole scenario that plays out between the two, and it's like she's battling her own demons, and that's why he kind of looks like he looks. It's the worst of him, and that's why her her costume, the old Harlequin costume, looks so awful. At least from what I can see from the thing is because this is literally the representation of her worst possible nightmare. And some of her stuff looks awesome too. And, but apparently every character has something like that. Every character has little cinematics and interactions throughout their story modes that unlock that type of stuff and give you more of why these interactions are happening, why they're choosing what they choose. And that's cool. I like that. That still doesn't explain Accountant Clark though. (laughs) I mean, have you ever looked in a comic book of Clark Kent? He's basically an accountant. Not like this. <laughs> Sears, a seersucker like suit this. with suspenders. He's a fucking accountant. Dude, he never looks this horrible <laughs> or this old. <laughs> like, massive widow's peak and all. <laughs> like, come on, buddy. That's not Clark Kent. <laughs> Anyways, no, I'm. I, it, what's funny is that there are so many games that are either coming out or have recently come out that I still haven't bought that I'm waiting for, for sales. This by virtue of the fact that I play it with my son and that I am a huge fan of the injustice franchise. I'm actually considering buying right away and it's a fucking fighting game. (laughs) That says a lot for this IP in this game. So yeah, if like if if you're not reading the comic books either, I was actually having a conversation with someone about that on Twitter not that long ago, and it was like, yeah, if you're not reading it, read it. But have that, you been reading the season two or whatever the, the Injustice Two comics? I, I you know I say that, but I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I have since the end of Comic Book Informer have not been reading a lot, so <laughs> I'm behind on Injustice. But I just I just see Tom Taylor always tweeting about it. I was like. You know, if there's one, one comic co- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need to go back and get caught up on that. There's a few that I need to, but it hurts so much. Anyways, uh, but no, go back and start from the beginning is what my point is, because a lot happens in that comic and you can't really just jump in, which it, it to some may seem like, OK, well, that's going to be an expense. Not really. They're pretty cheap because of the format that it was done in. Definitely check it out. Okay, let's move on to some completely different stuff. Vince, you finally get to talk. So we're going to talk about some D&D-esque kind of stuff, both with a an, an 80s-style win, which I'm so excited about. I'm hoping we're going to do something about this, and that you just weren't fucking cock-teasing us. And like, I want to do something with this. And then on top of that, there there's some Divinity Original Sin 2 stuff. So basically, take it away. Go for it. Yeah, I'll start with Divinity because I think that's the one I have a little less to talk about. Uh, they showed off in a stream last Tuesday, I believe it was, 
the DM mode that they're adding to D&D, or D&D, goodness, Divinity Original Sin 2. Uh, they showed it off in a special stream with uh, Matt Mercer, GM to the stars, playing for an assortment of uh, YouTubers and Twitch streamers and their interesting personality. Dude, the woman who did the crazy voice as the, the elf, <laughs> she was hysterical. <laughs> but I love that they had such like a wild, like goofy, chaotic party because it really showed off the incredible depths of the DM tools. Because like we saw with uh, Sword Coast Legends, it had DM tools, but it was very, very much, you know, pre-generated. There's like, air okay. quotes around those DM tools yeah. there. <laughs> well, they were tools, but, you know, they might have been, you know, the plastic tools you get out of the toy department. <laughs> it's not what they promised us is what it boils down yeah. to. It was very, like, pre-built, and the fact that the battle system was real-time really really hindered the ability for the GM to really do much of anything. Whereas here with Original Sin 2, you saw there is a tremendous amount of content Mercer was able to pre-build of all the maps, all the NPCs. I loved the little, I forget what they were called, but the basically the, the text parts where, yeah. you know, he could just put the text in like a little picture and it would actually have choices there that the players could then like vote on what they wanted to do, which was fantastic it felt like you know like a like a Baldur's gate type game with that parts and being able to have full control over the music the ambient sounds you know, the the lighting like you name it he had control over it. he was able to take control of npcs at one point when the bear was fighting them and the dwarf managed to charm the bear he was able just to click a couple buttons and suddenly the bear was their ally like the amazing amount of control he had over every aspect of this game both beforehand to create all of it and through play being able to customize the game for the players as they were adventuring through it, getting lucky dice rolls, getting unlucky dice rolls, and coming up with solutions to problems that he hadn't even considered. Like this was fascinating for me to watch. And I we already knew this game was gonna be pretty damn cool, but this is taking it to a completely different level. I actually, I had gotten the email because I backed these guys. And so I got in the email a while back saying you can get the GOG key if you want it right now. If you want the Steam one, you're going to have to wait. And I missed the email for when the Steam key was available. I got the other ones, but I, I missed that one for whatever reason. And so I kind of went back when I saw this news and it was like, oh, shit, I could have installed this a while back. So I actually installed it and have it set up. Do either of you guys actually own the game as well? No. Joe? Negative, sir. Damn. Because this would actually be fun for us to do together. Mm -hmm. Like, if you I'm guys. Sure I will eventually. Yeah, I hope so. Because I'm, after watching There's only this. There's so many hours in a day, though. No, 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 no. I know, I know, I know. But all I'm saying is that, like, I, I'm i actually going to be looking into the, specifically the Game Master mode to see what kind of thing I could set up. Because, I mean, you guys are running both the Shadowrun and the D&D. &D. It kind of would be fun if I came up with a story so that you two could have fun mm -hmm. and, and do that kind of thing. And the great thing about this is you don't need to know rules and all that. You have, you know, yeah. a game already there. So you could just come up with a story and characters and kind of run it as you will. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. So it'll take me a little while to kind of get a grasp of it and all that. But there may be come a point where I say, okay get your fucking wallets out and buy this shit because <laughs> i think it would be a lot of fun it, it it really as i was watching it got my imagination running rampant like just thinking of oh my god like 
various quests, various NPCs, like just in terms of the the world building that you can do to set shit up so that, you know, yahoos can rip it apart after. I It just sounded amazing. All right, then. Moving on to the more awesome of the two, at least in my eyes currently. <laughs> Some, I saw a post a couple of weeks ago from Geek and Sundry about a new RPG that was coming out. And uh, lo and behold, it showed up in my mailbox last week. <laughs> it is called Tales from the Loop uh, from Free League Publishing. It was actually based on an art book uh, from an artist by the name of Simon Stalinhog. And there's all kinds of quotation marks and stuff because <laughs> so I guarantee I'm going to pronounce a lot of stuff incorrectly, but it takes place in Sweden. And the entire concept for this art book was it's just a small town in 1980s ish Sweden but all this like weird high tech stuff, like, you know, robots and hovercrafts and whatnot. But it had like this, this nostalgic feel to it because it wasn't, it's the 1980s plus this weird shit. It was done in a way that evoked like, no, this is just the way it's always been. And it was just like this small town that happens to have robots and stuff. It was very interesting visually. And then it gave these guys the idea to create an RPG based on it. And it's an RPG based very much in that 1980s style of storytelling that we grew up with, uh, with E.T. and, you know, Stand By Me, and has now become very popular thanks to Stranger Things. And yes, this is essentially Stranger Things, the role-playing game, which made me so happy to see. I want to play this so bad. (laughs) I want to play this so bad. And apparently, Sissy will be our 11. (laughs) As long as I share the egos with her. Well, well, here's the thing. You can't be 11. Oh, please. Come on. You can be Dustin, Mike, and the rest. We can write in an 11. Well, yes, but she's not going to have psychic powers. Let's put it that way. That's not part of this game system. This game system is very much about, like, being on the mundane side of these things and the fun and exploration and discovery of investigating the weird shit that's going on around town. Okay, my question still is, when can we start playing this? I'm about halfway through the book. Chop, chop. (laughs) (laughs) Start bringing it into the crapper with you. Come on, get get, get done reading. (laughs) But there's a lot of, like, uh, things that I really enjoy about this. Uh, First of all, the game system is super simple and straightforward it lends itself to a lot of character side things with just enough mechanics to keep everybody you know interested and not predetermined in what all the outcomes are going to be but it's very character focused very role-playing heavy system so i'm just going to read through a couple of the the tenets that uh, this game has the principles of the loop as they call them Uh, your hometown is full of strange and fantastic things as i said there's two settings for this game one in some island in sweden and they were nice enough to also include boulder city colorado for (laughs) places that i know how to pronounce (laughs) so yeah you just live in a small town that has this government super science base that's been working there for years uh the loop you live in is, eureka yeah the loop is uh, basically a, a version of the large hadron collider that runs underneath the city and you know they just it research all these interesting things that may involve time travel or inter- interdimensional portals or dude i want to play this <laughs> artificial intelligence and just basically whatever you can come up with it's kind of like a catch-all for i got a weird idea oh yeah it came from the, the super science lab done <laughs> Everyday life is dull and unforgiving, and there's actually portions of every scenario before all the weird shit happens. 
you check in with what each of the players is doing at home. It could be, you know, oh, dad's, you know, might lose his job at the factory or I'm being picked on by the school bully or I'm going to fail a math test. But those mundane elements are still part of your characters because you're still a kid growing up and that's going to be important. And then it makes the fantastic elements that much more interesting because it's something to get you away from your mundane home life. One that I really enjoy here, adults are, are out of reach and out of touch. So this is very much a story about the kids. Yeah, your parents are present, but they're not going to be largely involved in the story until the point where you're trying to sneak out of the house at night. But you're not going to be able to, you know, ask dad to drive you down to the super science laboratory because that's just not a thing. And that ties into one of the things I love about the character creation rules is a big thing is selecting the age of your character. You can be between 10 and 15 years old in this game. And what that determines is you basically get one stat point for every year that you're around. And you get a number of luck points as well based on how young you are. So basically, the older you are, the more experienced you are, the better you are at things. But, you know, younger kids are a little more versatile. They can kind of get away oh, with dude. shit. Jesus. <laughs> and through the game, you know, you're going to age. Every time you grow a year older in the game, you get an extra stat point, but you lose a point of luck. To the point where once your character becomes 16 years old, you're not a kid anymore. You're practically an adult, and you're no longer a player character. What? This is a game about kids. Once you become an older teenager, you're not a kid anymore. And Makes sense. Yeah, like, life becomes much more complicated. You're dealing with driving and girlfriends. And oh, okay, but you... more difficult. You, you can still keep playing that character, just change no. it drastically. No. no, no, you retire the character because the char the character doesn't have the free. I get it, I get it. That's, that's well, I a, get it. It's just a, a wonderful surprising. trope. I think that's so cool because we talk about tropes or cliches being done poorly. That's a cool one because it's so much like, and we saw that with all the the eighties ones where like the younger kids have a, a friend or that's you know fifteen turning on sixteen, and the minute they turn into sixteen, now they want to date or you know go to the drive in or you know, go up to the hill and park or whatever the case is. And they don't care about the same things. Like it, it, there's a movie coming out along that same thing. There's also another game where it's like the older you are, it's like your perception shift. And I think that's cool because then it starts calling into the question, are these events real or are they all because you're a kid? Yeah. And because that's how you view the world is through the kid's eyes where yeah. everything is fantastical. That's amazing. I fucking love that. As do I. I just know Roger is not a big fan of the concept of potentially being able to lose your character just because you play the game, which is perfectly reasonable. But you said that there's time machines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's potential for mayhem and going back and saving your character. I'll figure out a fucking There's one. potential for anything. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> Another important one here. The land of the loop is dangerous, but kids will not die. That's a big thing. Like if you're playing a 12-year-old character, you're not going to fall off a cliff and die and break your neck and die. You're not going to get eaten by the monster. And again, this is trying to evoke a lot of feelings of these movies where yeah, that shit didn't happen. <laughs> so it, you can, you know, if you fail roles and whatnot, you know, through the course of playing a game, you can even like consciously push your character into, like if you fail a role, you're like, okay, well, I'm still going to push myself anyway and get the success, but at the cost of a condition. Like, you know, you twist your ankle or, you know, some a lot of the stuff in this game is emotional, psychological. You're just, you know, you're frightened. You're, you're, you're hurt emotionally. 
And that becomes a big thing of, like I said, the the real world aspects. And every kid has an anchor. Like if you pick, let's say, the bookworm as your air quotes class, your anchor can be the school librarian. So you can go, okay, you know, once we're done here, like uh, when we get back to town the next morning, I want to go talk to the librarian. And then you will actually role play a scene of the kid discussing their problems with a grown-up and, you know, getting the comfort they need to overcome their condition and be able to move on. So, like, again, gonna, very I, solid role-playing stuff that I really enjoy. Let's stop you there for a minute. Joe, had you heard anything about this before he posted it in the Discord channel? I did because Roger oh, and I, okay. had, or Roger, Vince and I had talked about it previously very slightly um, cause he, uh, you had DM'd me, I think it was like just the, you know, you slid it into my DMs, so to speak. <laughs> um, I'm curious but, as you're hearing yeah. these different things, if you were having the same reaction as I am, which is essentially kind of arms going up going, when are we playing this? I need, <laughs> I really, so, but it's also on a selfish level. When can I run it for mm-hmm. my friends locally? Because this is something that they've never experienced, yet we were all kids from that generation, and I can't wait to see their faces light up. Like, don't get me wrong, I love playing with you guys, but I can't see a face-to-face, and there's a certain quality, and Vince knows this, when you pull some shit, and somebody's eyes just light up like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Not to mention the added benefit of actually being able to pull out your G.I. Joe or Transformer face. Yes, and it's legitimate, (laughs) yes! I have the, well, spinning in my head, I'm like, I have the old school Ral Partha D and D minis. That's a great prop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the game is played scene by scene. I mean, this means you know, it's it, it's you tell the story much like a TV show or a movie. Like if the kids are going from school to their hideout, you don't necessarily need to you know do the overland travel bits unless you know there's an actual scene that you want to play out in there, and it just drives the narrative forward and everybody gets their chance. Like, you know, the DM can ask, you know, the kids like, okay, is there a scene you want to do? And, you know, Joe could speak up and go, Oh yeah, I want to talk about, you know, my time in the computer club after class. And that's just something you can do. Like it's very free form and it's storytelling. It's not as rigid as a lot of other game systems can be. It, it goes to the narrative, which is something that I really enjoy with some RPGs. Like a lot of them are built for the game. They're not built for the narrative and they sort of, the rule set kind of locks you into that unless you're an experienced GM. This seems exactly the opposite. And I'm kind of cool. Like that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the actual character parts. The thing I love is there are four total stats in this game, body tech, heart and mind. So there is one physical stat and three mental slash emotional stats, which by the rules determines what kind of game this is. The kids aren't going to fight their way through their problems. Like, yes, there there are physical challenges they're going to have to overcome. But for the most part, it's about working together, coming up with a plan, and outthinking and you know, outfeeling, if you will, the, the problems that they're facing, which I adore. Dude, finish reading the fucking book. <laughs> and then, like, again, like just all the little things. Like, there's... Uh, at the end of character crea- creation, there's a questionnaire that the GM asks the player. And then not just the player, the group as a whole, because, you know, you're a group of friends. There are shared things between you that you're going to want to know. Like, part of the game is setting up your hideout. Because what kid in the oh, 80s Jesus, didn't have a fucking dude. hideout with his friends? 
<laughs> it's it there's just so much fascinating stuff in here that I adore and this is a fantastic system that I would be 100% happy to run or play at any moment because this is something unique, something special, and it's 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 coming out at the perfect time. Of course, I, I have to assume that yeah, the revival of this type of storytelling, thanks to Stranger Things, played into it. But I I'm all I'm all in. This is a fantastic one, and the book itself is great. It lo- it's beautiful. It's well written. Uh, it's it's laid out quite nicely. For somebody who just wants to pick up the game and like just read the book, it, it's a very good book itself, not just a game system. Yeah, Hold I on, think, I got this. Wait a minute. I, I think I speak French. Hurry up and finish the fucking book. Yeah, finish the fucking <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> we are running this. <laughs> so there's uh, even included in the book, there's four little mini adventures that they refer to as the four seasons of mad science. The first one, just to let you know what, what's, what's in for here is called Summer Break and Killer Birds. Oh, Jesus, dude. <laughs> okay, so it's birds, too. God damn it. Tales it from- I oh, highly is- recommend anybody who's interested in RPG gaming to check out this book. I will say it's not cheap. I'm looking it's not at that expensive. Well, Canadian. How much is it? Canadian, Canadian. looking at yeah. uh, 51. 51 Canadian? Yeah. So you're that's, probably looking at about, about 35, 40 bucks, probably. That's that's cheap for an for RPG guys, yeah. book mm-hmm. by by about yeah. twenty bucks, yeah, and it's a hardcover. Yeah. yeah, so for for a hardcover for that price, that's nothing. Uh, to give you an idea, like Feng Shui Two is a sixty dollar book. What's this? Uh... Most D and D books are fifty to sixty dollars. I mean, cover yeah. price, of course. You usually get them for less on Amazon and whatnot. You saw that he's got another one too, right? There's a uh, Things from the Flood as well. Which is another. I don't RPG know if it's run. from the same creator. Like yeah, it the, is. The publisher. It's the same person. Oh, maybe not. Oh, okay. Oh, you know what? I think this is the and, and art book you were talking book. about. I don't think yeah. this is the RPG thing. I think it's the the art book actually. Uh, right, so, Alicia, stop listening. <laughs> yeah, good I luck with that. I was very pleased that you know when I saw this, my girlfriend was very interested in purchasing me this book for our anniversary, which recently passed. And like, I was like, okay. So she told me, you know, when when it's arriving, and I was like, I knew what she ordered. She's like, yeah, your present's arriving. So I was like, that sounds kind of early for when, like, because I know when the book released. <laughs> she opens the mail, and I'm in the other room, and I hear, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, honey, you want to come look at your <laughs> anniversary present early? And like, from the other room, I was like, did you buy me an art book? I was going to say it's the art book, wasn't it? <laughs> It's a gorgeous art book. That's what I'm looking at now. It is the art book. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, anything before we wrap? I think that's good enough there. That's all I got. Get the fucking reading, buddy, because I definitely want to play that. All right, that is it for the show tonight. Thank you for joining us. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on iTunes on Stitcher. You can also find us on Twitter at For the Lore or individually. Joe is Lotus at J. Vince is Simodian and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will see you guys next week. He brought my letter back. She wrote upon it. Return to sender. Address unknown. No such number. No such song. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. 
Stop by ForTheLore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.